text this morning is Luke chapter 20, verses 41 through 44. Luke 20, 41 through 44. But he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? Father, as we come to Christ's two questions, and as he points us to Psalm 110, Father, I pray that you would instruct our hearts. Uh, Father, that we, our minds wouldn't just be amazed at how your scriptures tie together and, 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 and point to the exalted Christ, but that this very word would affect our lives in our view of you and our worship of you and our actions. Uh, Father, you know the burdens that have come here this morning. Father, you know the sins that cling so nearly to us that are hard to get rid of. Father, I pray that as we look at the exalted Christ, you would give power and strength to uh, kill sin and to uh, glory in the gospel. And so, Lord, we ask that uh, you would do your work, that uh, you would draw anyone here who has yet to submit to you as Lord and Savior of their life, that they might do that this morning. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There's one thing that seems universally annoying to people and that is when someone thinks highly of themselves when they ought not to. Something that is can be really frustrating to us and ugly to us and bring about anger is when we see the pride of man. In a sense, we think this thought often. Who do they think they are? Who does she think she is? Who does he think that he is? I have uh, some cousins that live in uh, Minneapolis, and one of their friends uh, when he was in college was uh, uh, would... uh, Park was a valet uh, driver at a fancy restaurant in Minneapolis, and they had a dress code. And one time, a high-profile Minnesota Vikings player showed up at the restaurant, and he had a hat on, and that wasn't part of the dress code. And they had to inform him that he had to take that hat off, and the response was, don't you know who I am? It's ugly when we see this. 
And it can make us angry, especially if we think we're something and that person thinks they're above us. Then it really makes us mad because often we think of ourselves much more highly than we ought. And at this point in Luke, and toward the, towards the end of Jesus' life, the authorities who thought very highly of themselves could not stand Jesus because of who He thought He was. And if we were going to track this through the Gospels, I'll just uh, give you a, a little rundown. And I want you to put yourself in their shoes. So you can imagine thinking too highly of yourself, right? We can all struggle with this. Put yourself in their shoes. And then you run into this man who is healing people. And on one occasion in Mark 2, uh, there's a crowd gathered around Christ as he's healing in a home. And you know this familiar story where uh, they take apart the roof and drop down the paralytic, a man who's been paralyzed his whole life. And Jesus saw their faith and he said to the paralytic, this is uh, Mark 2 verse 5, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're asking the question, who does this man think he is? to pronounce forgiveness of sins. And you know how the story ends. Jesus says, what's easier? He knows their hearts to say, get up and walk or your sins are forgiven. Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Anyone can say that, but can you deliver on it? But so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, get up and walk, and then He walks. And they run into a man who has authority. And that authority encroaches the pride of the religious leaders. But they think they're protecting God's honor. Who can forgive sins but God alone? We're on God's side. We're on His side. We're to protect His glory. Who is this blasphemer? And then in John chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, turn there. We're going to pick up the narrative in verse 49. John 8, verse 49. He had been healing and doing miracles and no one denied the miracles. You couldn't. There were too often and too many. There's no early writings in church history that questions the miracles of Christ. Now we do that 2,000 years later and say they, you know, 
they didn't have the intellect or understand science and 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 they were fooled or however the liberal scholars might say it today no one in Jesus's day was questioning the miracles it was supernatural but what did they say they said he does it by the power of Beelzebul Satan gives him his power that's how he does it and Jesus answers in verse 49, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What a statement. Whoever keeps my word will never see death. Who does this man think he is to say, have the audacity to say something like that? The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Who do you think you are? And the, and the prophets who died, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. This is just getting too thick. He's calling God his own father. And he's saying, yeah, it's the Yahweh you worship. And then Jesus is saying, Yahweh glorifies me. It's a hard pill to swallow. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say, do not know him, I'd be a liar like you. Ooh. But I do know him and keep his words. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You see what Jesus did there? He said, if you keep my word, you'll never taste death. Your, my father, who you worship as God, Yahweh, he glorifies me. Oh yeah, and Abraham, he rejoiced to see my day. And before Abraham was, I am. The very name of Yahweh of the Old Testament, Jesus is claiming for himself. How could someone's pride be any higher? How could anyone think so highly of themselves? 
And if you're still in John 8, turn to John 10. Look at verse 24. You know, sometimes we hear or we listen, but we don't hear. The Jews were like that. They listened a lot, but they didn't have ears to hear. And we see this in John 10.24. The Jews gathered around him and said, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. (laughs) Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. (laughs) Wow. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. So there he goes again. If you trust in Jesus, you're not going to perish. Who does this guy think he is? My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. Of which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, and it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. It's nice to get fed by Jesus when he feeds the 5,000 or the 4,000. It's fun to watch miracles, but it's tough to swallow pure, undefiled, authority for the sinful heart because we are rebels at heart in our sin. We don't want to submit. Everybody wants a savior. Everyone wants someone to give them an inheritance to tell them it's going to be okay. But the Jesus who is the exalted God-man He requires something from your life. And not only something, He requires your life. He wants all of it. He wants you to lose your life and to follow Him. And then you'll find life. You won't taste death. You'll have eternal life. But it was hard, and I think you can understand to some degree why they were stumbling in their own pride when they faced Jesus Christ. I just got to show you a couple more. It's taking longer than I thought, but they're too good. Look at John 19. Beginning in verse 7. 
Jesus is on trial. The Jews answered him, we have a law according to the law and according to the law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. Meaning he's made himself God. He's made himself deity. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where do you come from? Jesus gave him no answer, so Pilate said to him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? See, it's an authority thing. Jesus said to him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it's been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has greater sin. Pilate's starting to realize the one whom I'm dealing with is a little different than other people. Then in verse 14, now is the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answers, we have no king but Caesar. You want to talk about blasphemy. The ones that should be waiting for the king. And they say, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. See, the question is, is who is the Jesus whom you confess? I'm not so concerned that you confess Jesus, but I want to know whoever I'm talking to, whoever I'm discipling, whoever I'm witnessing to, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I have Jesus. Well, so do the Mormons. The Mormons will come to your door and say, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? So do we. And so will the Jehovah's Witnesses. Which Jesus do you confess? Which Jesus do you have faith in? Is the question. The scribes and the Sadducees and the Pharisees are running into an annoying man who is prideful beyond prideful in their minds. And yet Jesus, although in one sense you can see this as an act of judgment, it's one last time where Christ takes them to the Scripture to show them and prove to them from their own scripture who he is, that they might trust him and have faith in him. Because if you don't have the right Christ, you don't have salvation. 1 John 5.10 says this, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself, whoever does not believe, God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God is born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. 
Do you have the Son of God? Do you have the Jesus that is the divine authority over your life and over the universe? The one who created all things and upholds the universe by the word of his power. Is that the Christ you have? Does it matter when you're sitting in front of the computer screen, ready to click on pornography, which Jesus do you believe in? How do you fight the fight of faith? Is he the Lord? Is he worthy? Has he promised you a spirit that can give you strength to kill sin in your life? Or is he your therapist and your genie or your, the one you go to that makes you feel good and nice about yourself? See, this is the Jesus that's preached in so many churches. It's not the Christ that people stumbled into. Yes, he's gentle and lowly. Yes, he calls repentant sinners. Those that are submitting to his Lord, come, come to me. And I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. But to be saved, repentance, a recognition of who you are and who he is and a brokenness of falling down and saying, I have no hope other than the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's whom he receives. Mark Dever says, I have no good news for unrepentant sinners. None. But if you're willing to look in and say, my goodness isn't getting me anywhere before the holy God of Israel. I need a savior and he's my only hope. Then you'll be received. And you won't taste death because his word abides in you. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Say, wait a minute, you got to earn your salvation by obedience? Listen again. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life already. And then he says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. He didn't lose his salvation. He never had it. The person that doesn't humble himself before the risen Christ, the wrath of God remains on him because he never had the eternal life. They never had the Son in the first place. John 8, 24, Jesus said it plainly. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Crystal clear, Jesus, the embodiment of eternal life. Jesus gives life to whomever he wills. <laughs> He's the giver of life. So all that 
as an intro into our text to help you feel the weightiness of how they were stumbling over Jesus. They just tried to trap him with a question on paying taxes to Caesar. And he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God the things that are gone. If Caesar's face is on that coin, well then throw him the coin. But if the image of God is on your life, then give your life to God. That was the point. And then they try, the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection try to trap him. And Jesus goes back to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, which they said were authoritative and proved from uh, Exodus 3 that he is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's the God of the living and not the dead. And so he showed that Abraham is alive. That there is resurrection from the dead. And now they want to be done. They, don't, they no longer dare to ask him any questions. But after their failed attempts to go after him intellectually and trap him, now Jesus has a question for them. See, they don't just get to walk away, bring their best challenge, and then, okay, let's get out of here. We're getting whooped by Christ. No, he, now he has a question for them. Verse 41, he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? They'd be thinking, what are you talking about? <laughs> Every Jew knows this. Second Samuel 7.12 When your days are fulfilled, this is to David, you will lie down with your fathers. I'll raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build the house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be a father or I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. All the Jews know that the Messiah is coming from David's line. That's what the Messiah is. It's the king who's finally going to put all of Israel's enemies under his feet. What kind of question is this? How can they say that the Christ is David's son? The Psalms are filled with this. Psalm 89, 3 and 4. I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Psalm 89, 35. Once for all, I've sworn in my holiness. I'll not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. It wasn't hard to understand. It was clear as a bell. Everyone knew. The Messiah they were waiting for is going to come from the line of David. But there's a lot of people with that lineage. There's a lot of men. Who is it? It really bothered them. Matthew 20, verse 30 when the blind men 
man was crying out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And on Palm Sunday, they're crying out that he's the son of David. They're saying he's the Messiah and the religious leaders are upset about it. So why is Jesus asking this question? Look at verse 42. For David himself says in the book of Psalms, so this is David speaking, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? You say, what's the dilemma? Here's the dilemma. Have you ever gone to Walmart or grocery store and you see some kids acting up? Might have been mine. Kids are acting up and they're throwing a fit and they're crying and want candy and the parent says, fine, and gives it to them. And inside you're like, that's wrong. That should not happen. Well, imagine you're in the store and the kid's throwing a fit. I want this candy bar. And the father gets down on his knees to worship the child and says, Adonai, Lord, have the candy bar. You'd puke right there. This is what's wrong with America. You'd say something like that. This is what Jesus is throwing at them. Because in that culture especially, never would a father call a son Lord, let alone Adonai, the majestic, high, authoritative one. And yet David, my Lord, Yahweh, says, sit, says to my Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Thus David calls him Lord, so how is he son? Here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, you all know that both from Mary and from Joseph, I'm in the line of David. But here's what you've been denying. You've been denying my deity and you've been stumbling over my deity. And by the way, scribes, those who don't only believe the first five books of the Old Testament, but believe the whole thing, including the Psalms. What do you think of this text? How in the world is this Messiah, David's son, greater than David himself? Is this not the thing you're stumbling over? And should you be stumbling over it if your own scripture tells you it was going to be this way? How kind is it for Jesus to once again go to the word of God and show them that this isn't a crazy man claiming to be God, but this is a man who's attested by God by these amazing miracles and who, by the way, continues to fulfill 
the scripture over and over and over again. And so he quotes Psalm 110 for them. Here's Matthew's account. I want to read it to you because it's helpful. Matthew 22, 41. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, David, are the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put, put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Well, they could have answered him. They could have said, well, <laughs> he's better because his son's actually God. But they couldn't say that because that's why they want to kill him. They could have answered him, but they weren't going to answer him and they don't want to mess with him anymore when it comes to Scripture. They can't reason at the same level. And Matthew says, David said in the Holy Spirit, in the Spirit he said this. He might have thought, well, I know what they're going to do. They're going to go say, well, David, you know, when David was saying that, maybe he got that wrong or maybe, I don't know. But he's saying, <laughs> no, when he writes Psalm 110, the Holy Spirit's writing Psalm 110. And so they're put in a box that they can't get out of. Let's look at 110 here as we draw this to a close. Psalm 110, let's go to where the Lord points us. Here's what we read, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, Yahweh says to my Adonai, which means majestic, exalted, honored one with power. <laughs> Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, said to the majestic, exalted one, Adonai, sit at my right hand. This is the place of honor. This is the place of rule and authority. This is the place where judgment takes place. Until I make your enemies your footstool. Now this is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Quoted over and over and over again. And when he says, uh, sit at my right hand, the New Testament authors use this to speak of Jesus' resurrection from the dead and ascension to the right hand of God in heaven. But the scriptures don't leave Jesus in heaven, do they? He comes back and he unleashes his authority on this earth. So we see this in Acts 2.29. Brothers, I say to you, and this is an example of, of Psalm 110 being quoted in this way. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried in his tomb is with us to this day. 
being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, or nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. See, that's how they quoted Psalm 110. And then, in verse 2 of Psalm 110, the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. And so my understanding of this is God doesn't have enemies in heaven. God has enemies on earth right now. And so while Christ rises to the right hand, he's given a rod of iron that the scripture tells us he will use on this earth to destroy his enemies when he returns and sets up his kingdom. So I think that's what this is showing. Uh, a couple other passages, Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. Not just the church, but the, the government. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, David's throne, and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord our hosts will do this. And then in Zechariah 14, speaking of the day of the Lord when Christ returns, this is what it says. Then the Lord will go out and fight against the nations as when he fights on the day of battle. Here's a question. Is Jesus fighting against the nations right now? He's not. This is a period where Christ's church proclaims good news to sinners. There will be a day when the king shows up with a rod of iron and every enemy will be put under his feet. You have not been given the rod of iron to make the nations bow. You have been given the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you preach that, if by God's grace and the power of the Spirit, they might hit their knees as he convicts them of sin and come to Christ. But that won't last forever. That won't last forever. 
And what he's talking about in Zechariah here is he's saying, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall be moved northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains and the valley of the mountains shall reach Azel. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and the holy ones with him. On that day, there shall be no light, cold or frost. There shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord neither day or night, but at evening time there shall be light. On that day, living water shall flow out of Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern side and half of them to the western sea. And it shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name will be one. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate, to the corner gate, from the tower of Hanel to the king's wine press. And if you read Zechariah through, it's saying on that day, that's when that's going to happen. The actual earth will change when Christ's earthly kingdom, what I believe will be a thousand year reign on this earth. And I think that's what Psalm 110 verses 2 through 7 is pointing to. And then in verse 4 of Psalm 110, let's just finish it off quick. The Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I don't know if you remember Scott's sermon, but Abraham, who you would think would be the greatest, paid a tithe to Melchizedek. Someone greater than Abraham is there. And he's the priest of, he's the king of Salem, and he's a priest. And if you understand, uh, in Israel, the king can never be the priest. But it's prophesied that one day there will be a priest king. And what we saw in the first couple verses of Psalm 110, we saw the rule and the scepter of Christ, his kingdom. And here we see his priesthood. The Lord is sworn will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He, he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He's not filling corpses in heaven. He'll do that on earth. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Why is this a big deal? Here's why your Christology matters. Your doctrine of Jesus matters. If you get Jesus wrong, see, they struggled over Jesus' divinity until he rose from the dead. And they couldn't argue with the miracles. And then after he rose from the dead, what was the next heresy? Well, he wasn't really human. He was a, a spirit being. He wasn't, 
truly a man. Well, if you get rid of Jesus' divinity, there's no salvation for you as a sinner. And if you get rid of his humanity, there's no salvation for you as a sinner. Because here's the problem of the whole scripture. How can a holy God ever forgive you a sinner and retain his justice if he's a perfect God? He would have to punish the sinner. Seems like hell is inevitable for everyone. But the Bible speaks of grace. How can it be? Well, here's how it can be. You've sinned against the eternal holy God, so what you deserve is an eternal punishment because his, his worth is that great. The one whom you sinned against is the God of the universe. So your friend can't die for you because whoever pays for your sin has to be the same worth of the one who was offended. And so if there's ever going to be a person to take your place, to be a sacrifice, to be a priest, to stand in your place, he has to have the exact same value and worth as God himself. He has to be the son of God. And if he's the son of God, but he's not the son of Mary, and he's not truly human, then he can't substitute for your life. Because man is sin, man must die. And so we need a God-man, someone who's truly God and truly man, to stand in our place. And when Jesus was on the cross, God put our sins on him, and then he poured out his wrath on Jesus. And if someone said, Where's your justice? How can you forgive sinners? He'd say, look at that cross right there. My perfect son who never sinned once is hanging on that cross with their sins on him and my wrath crushes him on that cross. That's where my justice is. So at the cross, the justice of God and the love of God come together in perfect union. And so we come and we worship a holy God who doesn't give away. Worship to idols. He's holy and he's just. He will punish every sin. He'll either punish you forever in hell for your sins if you die apart from Christ or he's already punished your sin on Christ at the cross. And the question is, is do you know that Christ? And a better question is, is if you know him, Have you submitted your life under him and said there is no hope for me except the God-man take my place? I believe he's the one the scripture pointed to. I believe he's the one who was promised from Genesis 3 who is going to crush the serpent's head and overcome the curse. I believe he's the one that is going to bring joy to the Gentiles and uh, the promises of Abraham that they'll be fulfilled in him. Do you believe in that, Jesus? Don't be fooled by some man or woman that comes to your door and hands you a different Jesus. Says Jesus isn't deity. Say Colossians 2.9. Point him there. Which says the fullness of God dwells bodily in the person of Jesus Christ. The fullness of deity dwells bodily 
in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Have you received him? Father, thank you for this Christ. Lord, help us not to be arrogant of heart. Let us not stumble over the stumbling stone and fall into eternal destruction. But rather, let us come before the rock, the Christ, the cornerstone. Let us be built into Him. Let us humble ourselves. Let us worship Him. Less of us and more of Him. Father, let that be our prayer. And Lord, we know that still as Christians, we're so often proud, so often in rebellion. And Lord, we hate that. Help us as we fight the fight of faith. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.